that is all we did was sing hymns every Sunday morning. And uh, just brings me reflect. My parents made sure that uh, we were at church. Um, typically, we were one of those groups of people, if the folks were sitting in that third row like all these Patriots folks are, <laughs> that's where my parents would sit at that church. And they'd have all four of us kids in there. And my mom and dad, my mom, bless her heart, uh, she sings loud, just off key. But, uh, and uh, so, so that's been really a, a great thing. But so hearing some of those old things, and uh, this is my story, this is my song. I've, uh, that chorus to Bless of Assurance is just something that's like, I don't know that that could ever grow old. No matter what culture we put that into, no matter what nuance we bring that from, it's, it's uh, a powerful piece of a story. So... Oh, well, what a week dropped in some temperature there was it Thursday night or Friday night. Woo, man. Uh, so maybe fall is falling. Uh, we can hope for. So uh, so that's a good thing. Oh, so uh, yes, it, it was a little bit toastier this week than I was expecting for the end of September, 1st of October. And uh, but we made it through. And uh, being that I drive that school bus, uh, boy. The morning route's not too bad, but the afternoon, and I drive one of those front buses with the front straight windows, the engine sits right, and just blows the heat right onto me. I'm like, oh, so. Uh. All right, here. Well, we'll get that to pull up for a second. Excuse me. Um, so what I want to do today before we get started is um, take, take your hands and just uh, think about all the stuff, whatever's gone on this week, that you've kind of got it in your hands, and I just want you to take your hands and just put them right on your lap and say, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that, I'm going to put that all down. And then just close your eyes, and you, you think in your mind of weak work, marriage, you know, relationships, job. You know, I hate to run the laundry list because you, you know what it is that you just want to let be settled this morning in the sense that you want an open mind to be able to hear what God's speaking, that he, you can start to tell more of your, your story because of his blessed assurance of his love for you. And so I just want to set those things down. And so put your hands flat on your thighs and setting those down. And now as those things are at rest, just pick your hands up and turn your palms just towards the the ceiling, towards heaven, and let us pray. Jesus, we come to you. We've placed the things of this week that have not let us maybe focus fully on you in some aspects. We've just placed them and set them down. Lord, we want to hear from heaven today. We want your blessed story to reach into our hearts and surround us with arms of love and joy and peace in the midst of turmoil, whatever that might be. But Lord, we ask that you come and you fuel us and fill us with your word 
and through these hymns of old that can touch our heart in ways that we don't understand, but it's what your spirit does. Settle us in this time and let us hear from heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. So this morning I come to you with two stories from the Old Testament. Got a lot of reading today, and maybe you're a person that might like homework. You can go back and uh, reread those stories. So I take the time, though, from these stories as we get to them. How you might see things. So is this glass half full? Or is this glass half empty? Anything you could do at the counter at home. I titled today's talk, Half Empty, Half Full. What Changed? How do you perceive? How do you look at the glass? Or the contents in it? Or the lack of contents in it? How do you see that working? Well, I want to share with you two stories, which is a lot of reading, but they're great stories from the ancient Hebrew text. They're great stories that you may have heard if you were one of those young people like me that grew up in Sunday school and sang those hymns every Sunday morning, and my parents were devoted to spank my little bottom to church on Sunday morning and spank it back on Sunday night and spank it back on Wednesday night. And every time there was an event or an activity, my parents parented, they signed me up, and I says, what are you doing? We're signing you up for that. I'm like, but I don't want to go. It doesn't matter. You're our kid. You're going. It's going to be a good influence in your life when you're 50 someday. Trust me. And so um, it was fat. So we didn't get a choice. We were shipped off to church camp, shipped off to vacation Bible school, shipped off to every youth event, every singing event. It was like those, we were there. And um, it was very different. And as I've grown up, it's kind of like I think about it because my my, my wife, she didn't grow up in a household like that. My wife grew up where her parents would come, and they'd say, Rebecca, would you like to go to youth camp? No. I'm going to hang out with my friends at school. Oh, okay. And so she didn't go. And so now later on in life, we talk about all those dynamics of different styles of parenting. So do the children parent? Do the parents parent? Do they do this together? How does it go? And, and sometimes it, it, it all comes out in the wash, okay, as you flow in a because my wife sometimes looks at, looks at things and says, I'm glad I didn't go to that. Or other times she says, I wish I did. And sometimes she did. For, for me, I look at it and go, wow, my parents just like railroaded me down the thing. You're going to every spiritual event that is going to happen at this church. You know? And I did. So I heard some great stories, though. And story sticks with us and carries us a long ways. You guys like stories? So... I, I do too. I was on the bus this week, though. I was putting a window up. Look what happened to my finger. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. So a story, though, moves people, and it changes people. And anything can happen in an ADH moment with me when you're hanging out. So, but I want to look at Numbers 22, verses 1 through 3. 
Now, let me set a little bit of the parameter because I think many of us will, but if, if you're unfamiliar with this, this is the story of the children of Israel that Moses has led them out across the Red Sea. The Egyptian soldiers had come because they were slaves for several hundred years, and they are now set free to go to the promised land. They've had all the, the, the plagues that the, the, the Pharaoh finally said, get these people out of here. We're done. So they cross over, they get out, and I want to pick up a piece of this story that's not actually described for us in, uh, wait, I said 22, Numbers 13. Numbers thir- the first one, yeah, Numbers 13. I want to pick up a piece of the story that once they kind of got out there and they were in the desert, and it's like, this ain't like home, folks. Um, we're out in the desert. But I thought God said we're going to some promised land. And so they set out this commission and they sent these 12 spies forward. And so I want to pick up in that story of Numbers uh, 13 of how God is working through Moses and these leaders. And keep in mind, is the glass half empty or half full? What changed? The perspective that people see in story. And so then I'm going to bring that back around to our own stories and our own lives. But I want you to see how God uses things through the way he shares the stories with us. Numbers 13. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders, tribal leader. Now, I'm not a great Hebrew scholar. These are supposedly in English. I will do my best. These great tribal leaders from uh, a tribe leader, Reuben Shemur, son of Zakor, Simeon Shaphat, son of Hora, Judah, Caleb, son of Jephna, Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph, Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun, Benjamin, Pati, son of Raphu, Zebulun, Gedal, son of Sodi. Manasseh, son of Joseph, Gadadi, son of Susi, Dan, Amiel, son of Gemeli. Tribe leader, Asher, Seth, son of Machel, Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vapshi, Gad, Guel, son of Machai. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hoshea, son of Nun, by the name of Joshua. A little precursor there is Yahshua. Joshua, Jesus. Jesus' name comes out of that Hebrew etymology to the name of Jesus. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. 
So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Labo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Haman, Shishai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zon. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Ishkal, which means cluster, because the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Is the glass half full or half empty? Here's a story of people that had spent several hundred years in bondage, in slavery, in hard work. And you get an opportunity to go forward. And you find yourself out in the desert. And this God has spoken from Mount Sinai to Moses in this event. The Ten Commandments have come down. They've built this little tabernacle with these cloths and this Holy of Holies, the tent where some of these other people were called high priests. But they were supposed to move on to another land. Only it was two people, Joshua and Caleb. That little Sunday school class I used to go to, it was 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Some was good and some was bad. And, and you learn that as kids. I could, can't forget that song. But too many saw the glass, if I use the phrase, half empty, and said, we're not going to make it. We just need to backpedal. We need to just fortify ourselves somehow, some way. 
we need to just think about us so we can be okay. And so you know what God did with that? He let that generation of people hang out and just walk around in this massive giant circle in this geographical location called the Mount Sinai Peninsula, a desert area, for 40 years until all those people that looked at the glass half empty died off and the new people, the new generation, the young people coming or those that felt like we had an opportunity but we missed it were able to revitalize the thinking again and make the change and go forward. To make the change and go forward. If you want to change... Make small changes in your life in the way you do things. If you want to make some change, make small changes. You may pick up a new diet plan. You may pick up you know, one of those reader things to learn a new language and you learn small pieces of it. You make some changes. You may figure out that you want to take an art class. You may decide that you want to take up some exercise program or start working out in some way that strengthens or encourages you in a physical aspect. You may want to change some of the things that you eat in food aspects of leaving the industrial food revolution's uh, chemical industry for what would be more of a natural food habit. Uh, You may think about how you do things on this planet to care for it in a different way than you have in the past. But if you want to make change, you have to change some small things. And those small things might take a long time. And you may trudge down through life for a good ways. I want to read another story in this book, Numbers. This particular story is about a prophet named Balaam. This is one of those stories you don't hear about too much. You didn't get it even too much in in Sunday school, but... um, it was one of those stories that was really powerful, and I've, I've spoke on it numerous times uh, as an opportunity to share, because I think there's power in story that gets us to see what we need to be looking for. So I want to pick up in this Numbers 22, again, a long story, about the prophet Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet that would go, and he would speak on behalf of God, and he would speak blessings over people. But then there was this king that calls him and he says, I want you to go and speak a blessing over this other group of people because they're going to come in and they're going to they're destroy our city. And he tells him, no, I'm not going. He says, God hasn't told me to go. And he says, no, you have to go. And so the king sends some more people to him. And that's where I want to pick this story up. And he says, well, all right, I will. So we're going to, are we into Numbers 22? Verse 1, Numbers 22. That looks like it. Is there one slide behind it? That'll, that'll work right there anyways. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. 
His message said, this is what these messengers are saying to Balaam, the prophet, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, sent out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him, Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to the king Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number, even more distinguished officials than than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. But do only what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at the place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. 
You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life? The donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. It's the Lord that opened Balaam's eyes to see the bigger picture that was before him. Now, I do believe in mystical aspects of spiritual realm, of God doing things. And it is amazing to hear the story. It's amazing to hear some of my friends from Congo, Africa, and Somalia, Africa, share their stories of stuff that's like, we don't have that in our modern realm that we think, but it's, I believe there's things there. So I take this story full to heart. And in our brokenness, Balaam you know, put his anxiety and, and, and anger out on that donkey, but yet that donkey saw something that Balaam could not see. And many times I wonder if in our own lives, there God is doing things around us, but we are too busy or too focused or too afraid that the thing that we think we're about doing isn't happening. So we take it out on something else, someone else, or the donkey of our, uh, in life until we get to see the full picture. From these two stories, I'm going to leave you with a quote that I think you can write down, you can take home, you can put in your notes on your phone, you can make this thing happen however you want it to do. But I've talked about in the first story that if you want change to happen, make some simple changes. You take small steps. But here's the thing. I don't know. Do we have? Okay. If you want change... Make small changes in the way you do things. If you want to make major changes, change the way you see things. Because if it's the same way you've been looking at it, you're not going to get it yet. Balaam is walking down that road with that donkey, doesn't get it yet. But God shows him that there's this massive angel in front of that donkey, and now he gets to see it. What in your life can your eyes be open to see the bigger picture? Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Or we're still in progress of filling it up? Or we're still in progress of taking it in? I, I run into some of the same challenge. People ask me all the time, well, how many farmers are around you? A lot of people don't. They think I'm... A crackpot. You know, I'm, I'm just, why do I do this? Why do I move chickens every day? Why do I move cows every other day? Why? But now that I've done it for three or four years, I see my soil change. I see my grasses grow and other people's don't. You know, so, so the thing of it is, is, are you about things to be different? 
then you have to change the way you see it. I have people ask me sometimes, they say, well, you got a lot of chores to do on your farm. I said, no, I don't do any chores. Really? You have a lot of, I thought you said you have a bunch of these animals and you, so wouldn't you have all these chores? It's how you see it. I've changed it from chores because that feels like it's a have to. That feels like it's a grunt labor, have to do this thing. And yes, I walk out and I still have to feed and I still have to water and I still move chickens and move cows. I have to for the existence of their lives. But yet I've changed that to, to farm care. When you change the way you think and the way you see things, I get to care for all these animals. I get an opportunity to work with them. What is it in your life that you get to work with something? You get to participate in the process. You get to go forward in the future. When you want to make change, change the way you see things. And you, and you may have, this One Hope Community Church may have a great opportunity as leadership is going to develop here and changing the way you see things to give this good news away. This good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in hope, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection that allows us to be fueled to be every part of human that we're created to be in God's image. Because he's breathed life into us. If you want to change, make small changes. If you want to make major changes, change the way you see things. I've been asked numerous times too about people who who are like, well, you, you do this diet or whatever? Do you do that diet? Have you heard of this diet or whatever? And anymore, it's not about hearing about a diet. It's about what are the what are the real ingredients that's in that that we call food or a beverage or whatever. What's the ingredients? How does that fuel my body? If we move it over to the spiritual realm, this is the holy temple that the, that the Spirit of God is dwelling and living in that we invited into us earlier today through song and through time. We might be like the prophet Balaam, that we need help to change the way that we see things. We need help to change the way we see things. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, in an all-white community, but only seven blocks away was an all-African-American community. Didn't think nothing about it when I was a kid at the time. I just went to school, played sports, did my deal, and as life grew, I did recognize that my dad had some African-American friends from the factory that would come over to our house and we'd have a big dinner meal together. And so I would sit down with people of a different color and have dinner. And then a month or so later, we'd get in the car and we'd all go over to their home across that line, 8 Mile, and we'd sit in their home. They had two large, big Doberman Pinscher's dogs. They had black metal bars on the door. But they had a nicer home than we had, red brick home, bigger home, bigger lot. But it was all barred on the doors and on the windows. And, and yet when we would go in... The place was immaculate. Had the finest meal I could ever imagine. 
those little touches, at least, that my parents used allowed me to feel different than some of the socioeconomic principles that were put into the minds when you only live in a white community. I had the opportunity when I was in middle school that we had one African-American school teacher in our middle school. And he was also the football coach. And I got, I played football for years, and so I loved it. And I know there's a few folks in here that love football too. So, but it was so fascinating to get to know people who aren't like you and realize that you can still care for them and they can care for you. And you can do this life together. Change the way you see things. I also then took a class called uh, Contemporary Cultural Issues. There was about 75 students in the class. Six of those students were white. I was one of those six. This is the late 80s. Actually, early 90s. And I was hearing stories that I thought I would only read about that were back during slave days. Of how they would only travel certain roads from Detroit to their family's area, the old homestead in Mississippi or somewhere, and they wouldn't get off on certain roads or get gas in certain towns. And I'm like, come on, what do you mean? While I'm working at the Redbird Mission... I had the opportunity, I invited some folks, African Americans, to come to southeastern Kentucky and they said, sorry, we won't. We can't. We would not be accepted. And if it was just us in a car and we needed to stop. And I'm like, what? And, and so sometimes we need perspective to change the way we see things. We need to see God's hand open up a window so we can get clarity of where our life is and what it is that we're about to see in a next relationship, in the circumstance we're about to be in, in our finances, in our spiritual lives, in our married lives, in our single lives. And so my experiences with people of a different color has changed the way I think. If I use that as an example for you today. It's allowed me to see things differently and look at it differently. What might it be in your life that you would want change? What might it be in your life that you've looked just at the glass and said, yep, it's half empty or it's half full? Or how do you see the whole glass surrounding it? How do you see everything that surrounds the glass? In the spring, I was at the Mother Earth News Fair in Asheville, North Carolina. And I listened to uh, a lady from New York. Her name was Leah Pennington, and she has written a book called Black Farming. She is an African-American woman. Here I sit in a, about twice the size, same size type room, but just filled to capacity. 
And she's sharing several different things of farming and life and how things have been. And I feel like the light is just going off in the sense of how I farm and things that I take for granted. And then all of a sudden I just step over and I listen to somebody sitting in the chair next to me. They, they can't even think in those perspectives exactly yet because life's so different. And so it's changed the way I see things. While we were there, we had the opportunity that people, she had to stand up and she says, I want you to talk to the person that's next to you in your row. Well, there was two blank seats and then there was three other African-American folks. And I'm just going to gauge that this woman was somewhere between 60 and 75 and I just shared a little bit. I'm from Detroit and so forth, and I farm, and here's what we do. And, and she said, oh, that's wonderful. And, um, and um, she says, well, we've been farming and doing different things. And she says, and we take our ancestry all the way back from the slave ships. And she says, I'm a fourth-generation slave child. And I'm sitting here going, this is 2019. And I'm talking to somebody who knows their ancestry that actually came over on a slave ship and sharing with me and sharing how in their family, their great-great-great-grandmother braided okra seeds in her braids so they could come over as they were stocked onto the slave ship. And I just started to weep. I don't know the story of how challenging and difficult it could have or would have or has been in some people's lives. So if you want to make change in how you see life, look at things differently. Start to see the bigger story. Start to see the things that maybe God is showing you or where an angel might be showing up in a dream or a vision to speak into your life to say, Have you thought about this lately? God is not going to be the God that comes up and just blasts the home run every single time for you to see it and get it. He's the God that casually walks over and he picks up the bat after and says, okay, you can come up again. Because he wants you to see it. There's change in your lives coming. I want to encourage you to be ready. I want to encourage you to see the big picture. Are you going to hang out in the desert for a while, mope and complain? Or are you going to recognize the things that you've just been beaten up on and frustrated with, but turn around and see an angel of the Lord is about to show you some of the things that are going to go on? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these fine folks. I ask that you bless them. Lord, I ask that you open their eyes to see what you have for One Hope Community Church and encouraging them to be faithful servants dedicated to you and to the good news of your gospel that loves us right where we are but loves us so much that you can't leave us where we are. We have to see the picture to make the change that you have for us. We love you, Jesus, and ask your blessing on this time and this day as we go forward from here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.
bless you all. Thank you. Any comments or questions, feel free. I'll be up here. If you want like prayer, 